I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift, the online cycling platform that's made my training fun. Basque Country, the last stage, stage six, just like last year, this was, it goes straight into the list of the best stages of the year even whatever happens later in this year unreal stage from Ibar to Arate 135 kilometers my voice is already gone uh from shouting (laughs) at the tv during this it's like parody stage eight on steroids like I said yesterday it's unreal stage we have all day up and down climbs but they're longer than what we've seen this week the big one that starts off is the Azurki 5k 7% descent Gorla 9.6 9.6 gates, 5.6%. And the descent of that is where Freyla sent it with Aaron Baru, the guru, and Roglic and Guru went in la- with him last year, and that was the insane roglic Pagacha raid. Valley, Krabbelin, the hardest climb. 4.1 gates, 10.5%. That's where McNulty cracked hard. It's got some 15% sections. Descent, then a 5K, 5%, steady climb. Descent, false flat uphill. And then the Arate or Uzarsa climb. 4.6 goes 8.5%. Some steeper sections, but it's not as hard as Krabbelin. But at the back end of a stage like this, it is hard. And it has a descent finish where Roglic won on one of the first stages of the Vuelta in twenty in the last couple of years. A little quick descent finish. And to remind you, by the way, the GC positions going into this stage. Avon Apol two seconds ahead of Martinez on Ineos. Bit of a poison chalice. Having the GC lead going into this stage, if you don't have a strong team, Bilbao, third on 20, Izaguirre, 21, Vlasov, 22, Jonas, 29, Mas, 37, and Roglic all the way back in 105. Jonas and Vlasov were not credited with the same time as Martinez after the crash yesterday. Benji went through the rules, and it kind of looked like it should have been a 3K rule, but apparently it wasn't, uh, the comment says told DS. Anyway, Benji. Breakaway actually wasn't the same big fight that we saw last year. It was kind of non-threatening guys. Yeah, certainly. There were some riders in there that are very decent climbers. We've seen Cristiano Rodriguez and the breakaway the entire week, and he's gone for the KOM points once again in this stage. Together with Formula and Galopan, that's the first three-man group that kind of formed on the El Corrieta climb at the start. Then two riders followed, Oliveira and Asparin. Oliveira is a Movistar rider, so that means he could potentially lead up to be a satellite rider for Enric Mas in this race. Then a third group formed in the road as well, but... That group would really not really play a role in this stage as they would eventually all be caught. But one rider in there I do want to mention, Arieta, Igor Arieta, rides for Equipo Ken Farma. And just in case he wins a World Tour race in three years, I want to say that this is a 19-year-old with a lot of talent. He uh, was seven at Gran Camino and a decent climber. Today, he didn't really play a role in the stage, but just wanted to get that out there. When it comes to Quick Step Behind, they were like, okay, well, if the break wins the stage, well... 
bonus seconds are gone. That's good for little boy Remco. So I guess they were happy with that. And the gap went up to six minutes until a different team started taking over. Ineos started taking over before the broadcast started. So no clue at one point they decided to go and which were the first riders of their team to start pacing. But when the broadcast started with about was it 75 kilometers to go, roughly? It was indeed Freile setting up the tempo for Ineos. And this was already, we went over that Azurki climb already. So we were moving towards that Gorla climb where, like you mentioned, in that descent of that Gorla climb last year, Aramburu was hammering demon descending for Astana. We wouldn't see that this year as he's not at the start here. But when they took up that Gorla climb, Freile was not exactly doing a crazy temp when it looked like Thomas was taking over for a bit and Freilo went into the second position. Did you expect them to do something here or did you expect them to wait until the Krabbelin climb? Krabbelin, I thought they, like me, if you just make every climb kind of hard, then Remco is going to struggle more than one all-out climb on Arate. That being said, the risk is if you spend your domestiques early, and you drop Remco, well, then you're going to get in a situation with the long valley after Krabbelin, with the climb before Arate is not that steep. You need domestiques there. And if Martinez is isolated, Remco's gone. Vlasov, Jonas, Izagiri, Bilbao will attack him. And I know people have said I've harped on about it, and we saw it again today. Martinez sucks at descending, and those Basque guys are lethal. So that's the risk. You spend the guys early. To put Remco into difficulty, like it's, it's all a question of how much you think Remco can hang on on Arate. If you think he's a really big threat, then what they did, I mean, to be honest, their hand was forced. Because as we got deeper into this <laughs> race, we get to the crambling climb. Not too much happened. No one attacked on the descent. It was sad to see Fraley in prison on the same descent this year. He was. Did you see him through the corners, Benji, in the Spanish Champs jersey? He's got. I think he was gaffing Tao off the wheel, and he, he had to wait in every hairpin, look back, and he's like, oh, it's not Aaron Baru here. It's, I have to wait, and I can't just risk life or death uh, with him. Anyway, get to Krabbelin. Thomas paces. Fraile goes backwards. Tullet's dropped. Rodriguez can't help. Adam Yates is not looking good. Still a big group. Thomas finishes his pull, and then... Tao Hart takes over. But it's kind of like his Luzard Den or Paul Tepul wasn't really going anywhere, not dropping anyone. And Roglic attacked Benji really strongly on the steep sections they got to crumble in. He's a minute five back. And he goes with a group of GC favorites, Martinez, Vlasov, Mas. Is that – what's the plan here for Yumbo? Is it just make the race hard, make Martinez isolated? I think the situation that I would expect them to want from this is that Roglic goes, the others respond, and Remco, for example, brings back Jonas to that front group. So everybody except Jonas has spent energy here. But the problem is Remco wasn't looking that great on the steep sections of that Krabbelin climb. We know that when it comes to the steep sections, he needs to do his own tempo. So it wasn't that likely that Remco was going to bring him back so easily to that group ahead. Now, before we get into the fact uh, to how Jonas eventually perhaps ended up in the front group again, did you think that was a good strategy, having Roglic attack? Um, yes, I think it was good, but I don't think he should have continued pulling. He stopped yep. eventually. Uh, it takes a while, and then he, he stopped, and then it was up to Marcel Vlasov to pace. He was waiting. It seemed like he was waiting for Jonas to bridge that group. I think ideally they wanted something like... 
I don't know. Roglic, Vlasov, Mars, Jonas, no Martinez. And then even with Martinez, maybe work him over on the descent. Uh, but yes, Jonas was bridged across. We think to uh, Juanpe Lopez, all 55 kilos of him to that group. Uh, but Roglic was kind of, he was kind of done. Like he pulled really, really hard. And it was the, oh, sorry, Remco Benji. I wasn't that concerned about him on Crabbelin. He wasn't mm-hmm. cracking. He was, just, and yeah. draft was minimal on the fifteen percent sections. To me, he was like, if all these GC guys go together, they're not going to work on the descent and in that valley. And if I just do my own pace, even if I lose eight seconds, ten seconds, it's better than doing the big surge. The problem is, Benji, it is, he does this on every climb, and I think at some point he needs to be able to, or he has to respond to surges. On this occasion, so steep doesn't matter. Whatever, ride your own pace. But it's just something I think he needs to eventually be like. He can't just say, "I'm gonna ride my own pace every climb." No GC guy does that. Yeah, I agree with that, and I do agree that at this place it was a good decision to make that move because we, like you said, know that. GC riders don't exactly like working together with each other unless they all have the same goal. And yes, some riders at the front were having similar goals. They paced for a tiny bit and certain riders tried to attack left and right again. But the thing is like, there's also valleys in between the climbs that are coming up and so forth. So all that will play a role. Now, the interesting part is that Bilbao was also dropping at that point and was actually behind Remco on the Krabbelin climb. But we saw some more attacks at the front, right? Yeah, big attack from Enric Mas. Actually, well, good timing. It was marked. I think Roglic paced it back. and But he created that selection of himself, Vlasov, Jonas. Roglic was dropped. Martinez, and I'm not sure if Izaguirre was there. Bilbao was certainly dropped. Remco was also on a gap. But as you said, Remco was G2, let's say, and... Uh, Bill Bowers behind him. Up the road, Formolo had gone solo about mm, a minute ahead. It was rapidly decreasing. He was on the descent already. And Oliveira, the, the domestique for Movistar, was somewhere in the middle. We had no moto on him, so no one knew exactly where he was. But at this point, with Formolo dropping him, obvious that he should be a satellite rider. And before we get into this, where this race went from quite entertaining to one of the greatest of the year, I'll mention our show partner, Zwift, the online cycling platform that I've been using. And it's made a huge difference to me being able to do even an hour, even an hour and 15 on Zwift, particularly compared to when I was riding in a proper city environment in Brisbane, has been such better bang for buck. The constant pedaling, no traffic lights, just doing the set watts that I want to do. It's been so good for me. You can even do structured workouts. You can train solo. You bet you get real friends, virtual meetups as well. Or you can join a club. There's over 130 riding clubs as well. Maybe get you ready for Zwift racing. But if you want to check it out yourself, maybe if you're in Australia heading into winter, you can go to Zwift.com for a free seven-day of trial through the link in the description down below thanks as always to zwift for supporting and making lrcp possible okay descent fast country steep technical master's got Oliveira drop back he's pacing it decent pace because i didn't really know what yumbo should do 
uh, and no one was attacking Martinez, Benji. This is all good for Danny Martinez because I was like, someone's going to attack him. And Bill Bow appears out of nowhere. Like, he <laughs> must have done. This is what's your thing? You want, you want drones on the sense. You wanted it for yes, Morich. Exactly. Yes, I don't know the technical capabilities and the dangers and so involved, involved, but imagine drone footage of what Bilbao did today. He crested the top, I think, multiple seconds behind Remco of that crumble and climb. The gap is roughly 20 seconds, 16 to 20 seconds at the top towards the front of the race. And out of nowhere, two to three kilometers later, perhaps I'm minimizing it a bit, I think it was roughly three kilometers, three, four kilometers from the top into that descent, Bilbao was at the front. Like... That is insane. One of the best descenders in this peloton and one of the best things I've seen all year when it comes to like a surprise performance. Well, we know it's a wonderful descender, but to see it happen every single time again is just wonderful. And this plays a role even in the later part of the descent because Bilbao gets to the damn front of that group and keeps on going. And this has an effect on the group because... We know that Martinez is not a great descender. Martinez is being put on gaps and gaps and gaps on, what was it, 50 meters at some point, you said? And also Movistar in trouble? Yeah, Martinez already under pressure, letting a gap glow, a sort of split. And here's the thing. Martinez, I think, crashed on the Passagial descent. But he tends to just let the wheel go and go slow. So that's why he's more of a mm-hmm. risk of losing time. Whereas Masters tried on Carpeña, he crashed out of Tirreno Adriatico following on that descent. I've said it multiple times. Master descends on the hoods. He slid out on Carpeña. Yeah. He just he descends. He remember, remember when Roglic attacked no risk, no glory stage? He was descending on the hoods, being gapped out of every corner every time with Lopez closing it. He... Tries to follow Bilbao. It's a left-right. Bilbao, instead of breaking, flows through the chicane with steering through the corner, and Mas just panic breaks. He panic breaks, goes straight. I think it was him, and then Oliveira stopped, but we didn't get great footage, and he goes into a guardrail, but we do see the two of them standing up afterwards. But it could have been could have been bad. It was another nearly Lucas Hamilton situation, but that's his GC race done, and he was looking fucking good on Cramblelin. So I would have liked to see what Musk could do on Arate. Maybe he wouldn't have done anything. But still, shame for him, but that's the danger of following Bill Bow. And you saw in Carpena, Pog let Bill Bow go. He's like, yep. there's a 20-kilometer valley. I'm good. <laughs> we'll we'll catch you. Um and I think Bill Bow's the best descender in the world. I think he's the best. Because technically he's he is flawless sometimes. It's, and it's cause it's because it forces him to ride straight. When he's uphill he he rides in a zigzag. <laughs> Yeah, that's a perfect example, but I think it's very difficult to compare the top descenders. I think Bilbao is definitely technically one of the best, if not the best descender. But when it comes to pure arrow on a straight road, I think Mohrich takes the lead in that, yeah, personally. Right. Yeah, technically on these fast descents, unreal. Anyway, he's created a split, or the crash has, or whatever has, and we have a split of two Basques, Bilbao Izaguirre. Now remember, on GC, they're ahead of Vlasov and Jonas, who are also in the group. But Jonas and Vlasov are better than them on the climbs, one would think normally. And, yeah, so they all just work seamlessly together. Remco is behind. He was in. the No, Martinez descended so slowly, he was back in the Remco and Roglic group. And so in that valley, unreal performance from Remco Benji. Is this, is this the curse of the jersey that Jumbo was trying to avoid? If Martinez is in yellow, Remco's not. Does Martinez do 
50% instead of 20% of the work in this valley. Oh, yeah. I I would definitely say really? that Remco would be trying to benefit from Martinez a lot more in the in the chase then. But on the other hand, Remco needs to get to the front as well. So on paper, he also needs to pace. And yes, he did most of the work, but it's also more fitting for him, the terrain there, than it is for Martinez. He knows that if he does it, they get closer. If Martinez does it, the gap is going to stay the same. So in my opinion, it was likely going to be more, uh, just better if he rode most of it. And yeah, that's going to cost him. But the, the faster that he gets to the group ahead, you would expect that the faster you can recover. But that's not exactly what happens, is it? At the front, Bilbao goes to the front of the group in that descent of the, uh, what was it? The second last climb, that climb that wasn't exactly the uh, the craziest climb and was shallow gradients in that descent there of Bilbao went to the front, hammered it in that front group, but Remco actually kept that relatively well in that descent and even came closer in that descent. Do you think that's because Bilbao didn't necessarily go all out in that descent or do you think that's because, I don't know, I have no clue. It was less. It was more shallow. It was less technical. It was a pedaling descent. Remco is still fast and error on these descents that we've seen this week. Uh, so yeah, that's the reason Remco going 100%, whereas I think Bilbao and Vlasov, Jonas and uh, Izaguirre were not, they, they were still holding a bit back. They got the Arate climb to come. They're worried about who's going to drop who. They they have to hold something back, whereas Remco's doing full and he's faster on the flat aero anyway. He closes a 30-second gap largely himself. Danny Martinez helped a little bit. They get to that group. It all stalls. Jonas is like, how are you back here? Starts talking to, this is why I said Jonas is a bit asleep. He's asleep half the time. Starts talking to Remco, and he's a gear and Martinez just right away on the flat. They just ride away, and then they eventually got brought back. And Rose was gone. He got dropped. I'm trying to think. They all started. To, it, was, it was oh intermediate sprint time, Benji. Yeah. Um, Remco <laughs> then did a huge lead out through. There's a three, two, one second intermediate sprint. Um, I know this is going on for a while, so I'll, I'll cut to the Arate climb. Remco took the three seconds doing like a Jala-style lead-out. Danny, Danny Martinez second. So that meant that Remco didn't really mean much, to be honest. It meant that if yeah. he came third and Martinez second and no time gap, he would still win GC. You're right. But the question there is then, he's giving such a performance to try and get that one second on the second person at that intermediate sprint that you question yourself, well, Remco, you dropped on the Krablin climb. The Arate climb has steep sections in the middle of that. I think it goes up to 15% if my mind serves me right at some point. So is that necessary? Would you have done that if you were Remco? It's a big effort. I, I don't know. I think, again, him being in the jersey really cost him today, I think, because obviously the play is for Remco to make this into a longer TT and attack before Arate mm -hmm. and then hope there's finessing behind. And instead of doing using a, a, a match to attack, he used it for the intermediate. So, yeah, I think it's kind of like the Giro Benji. Remember he did that huge effort to get one second against Bernal in the Giro. <laughs> and he said, I'm never doing that shit again. Anyway, they get to the Arate climb, all in group together. Izaguirre, Vlasov, Jonas, Martinez, Remco, Gino Maders come back. He's pacing for Bilbao. Soler is there on the back. Formalo's attack before, he'd been in the break all day. They don't chase. He gets 40 seconds. He looks absolutely ruined. Now the question is, Vlasov and Jonas, they need... They need 20 seconds on Martinez. That's a on this sort of climb, Martinez needs to be under big pressure to do that. 
and then nothing happens. Finessing, finessing, Izagira attacks, and then Remco drops. This was weird to me, Benji. Remco drops so early on this climb, so early, and he finishes it in the end 24 seconds behind the leaders. That, I, I don't know what that is. It doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I think I know what it is. He was together with Tim Declerc way too much that he's got an automatic limit on his watts when it comes to climbing and can't go over that. And therefore, he stuck as those watts for the entire climb. That's my theory. Uh, yeah, it seems like he just wants to do his pace. And anyway, because he because when he gets dropped, the group then sits up, they sort of start finessing. There's the GC dynamic. Jonas and Vlasov are marking each other. Izagira is attacking, trying to get time on Martinez. Martinez doesn't want to close too much. And he had a pretty easy time of it. Eventually, he starts pacing. Maid has gone. Bill Bowles dropped. And I think the biggest, nothing's really happening. Just Martinez pacing. Because he's like, if we get to the finish together, I win GC. I don't care about the stage. And so he's pacing they finesse with like a kilometer go to the, to the top of this climb with the little descent afterwards. And then Jonas and Vlasov shift out to the spectator in the way. Jonas chops uh, Izagire, the second person he's crashed in two days. And Vlasov Unintentionally. Starts, unintentionally. Um, but regardless, Vlasov starts <laughs> hard pacing because he's fourth or fifth on GC. Izagira was second or third. and. I was like, no. Izagira, the Basque, he will come back on these slopes with everyone in the orange Uskatel colors, gets up Armstrong style, catches them back. And so we have a group of Soler, Izagira, Vlasov, Vingegaard, who didn't look good. He couldn't really, he didn't have it on this climb, couldn't really attack at all. Martinez looked strong. GC was done when they got to the crest. I thought Soler would take it, had a little nibble at 50 to 1 in play. He didn't. He attacked over the crest, Roglic style, and Izagira came round him, Vlasov in the wheel, and takes the stage after crashing on the climb, takes second on GC, but Martinez wins GC. I'll do the top, the stage. Izagira, Vlasov, Soler, Martinez, Jonas, Bilbao on 13, Remco on 24, JP Lopez 52. Overall, Martinez takes GC 11 seconds ahead of Izagire, 16 ahead of Vlasov, 21 ahead of Avonapol, who comes fourth in the end. Bilbao 32, Jonas 32, Soler actually on seventh, 126, Rolich eighth. Mas finished the stage, credit to him, 355, Uran invisible, 10th. What a stage, Benji. Unreal. Yeah, certainly. And it's wonderful to see when Izagira is crashing that he then comes back and is able to do an Undertaker give, basically, and come back to win the stage. Absolutely beautiful to do that. And not only for the stage, but we got to keep in mind that this man probably scored roughly 300 points, UCI, 370 UCI points by just his last stage, yeah, in total for the Isulia Basque country, for Kofidis. That is Huge. And that's the thing we mentioned in our Cofidus preview. The signing is really good. And we thought it would happen at Paris. It wasn't that great at Paris. And then he comes back to Basque Country. And this is where he strikes in such fashion. And this is why they signed him. This is why they signed Yonis Aguirre. One of the best signings in the offseason. I remember we talked. I was like, I reckon he's on seven figures. Because he can win World Tour uh, stages. And he is a points god as well. Like, 
I don't know what the points is. I know I, I reduce everything to points, but Cofidis, like EF, are in trouble. We'll have the recap article, the must-read one, dropping on Monday from Raul. But Roglic Benji, it seemed to me like he, honestly, from an outside perspective, it seemed to me like he didn't care about GC here and was like, I'm going to go all in on Kravlin, blow myself up, let Jonas, give Jonas a chance. I agree that it looked like that, but I also think it's an, a conclusion or a decision based on the fact that Roglic was not as amazing form-wise as they probably hoped him to be before the race started. But in hindsight, this still doesn't make the decisions from yesterday good, necessarily. Oh, 100%. No, no, 100%. Like, it still... Like, it still would have been better if he was closer on GC as a second threat. Like, and then you can maybe play for the Arate climb or get in the middle of Remco or whatever. I still, no, of course. Like, but that was maybe, maybe his legs as well. I think he knew he didn't have it. And so just went all in for uh, Jonas today, who also, he was strong on Kravalin and then faded a little bit at the end of the stage. What about Martinez, Benji? He's won Dauphiné 2020 GC. On a stage here, 10 bonus seconds there, huge, and got very, very lucky, it must be said yesterday. I, this is a great win for Martinez, and I, I am full. I've been saying it for a while. Martinez, Tour de France leader for Ineos this year. He still has many – He has he's a big flaw, which is his descending and handling, and he got very, very lucky today, and this result – was also like if Remco doesn't pull him in that valley, he's fucked as well. Yeah, certainly, he would definitely uh, be fucked in that situation. But that's that's how the race goes when riders are behind, when leader is behind, he's going to try pacing the front. So it's not unexpected that Remco makes that decision, and it's the risk that Remco needs to take when getting back to the front. And yes, that's part of having that yellow jersey among his shoulders. If Martinez has that, he might be able to use that against Martinez to chase more, but. I still think that Remco made the biggest difference in that chase. And if it was down to Martinez, it probably wouldn't have happened the return there. Because then in the descent, Remco wouldn't have taken the front, then Martinez would have taken the front. And that wouldn't wouldn't have gone that far, even on that shallow descent, the second last one. But Martinez has his downsides. But I think when it comes to the Tour de France parkour that we have on the table here, it's not necessarily a terrible parkour in terms of descending. Basque Country is one of the Races in the season where descending matters a lot. The Giro often has that a lot as well. We've got stage races where that matters a lot. The Tour de France has more of these shallow, longer descents, I dare to say, based on my memory at least. So I think uh, I think it's not as big as a downside for the Tour de France than it is for some other races. I think, yes, the descending is one big flaw, but tactically, which you, you it's really difficult to teach, Tactically, mm-hmm. Martinez is a killer. He has that carapaz in him. He always seems to get the most out of the guys he's with, like with Remco today. He then knows when exactly to switch gear on Arate to go from passive to the front, hard tempo, shut GC down. He rarely, I think, makes big tactical mistakes. He seems to know who's strongest in the group, who to follow, when to work, when not to work. I think he's really good tactically. And as Benji said, unless a team, which 
I guess Yumbo could be one of those teams. I don't see Pogaccia being like, I need to attack Martinez on a descent. Unless a team really makes a concerted effort to do it in the in a tour, it might not be a problem. Um, in the Giro and, and Basket, is more of a problem. But still, huge win for him. I was surprised, Benji, that he was isolated from two Ks to go on Krabbelin. Ineos disappeared. C-Rod yeah. gone. Adam Yates nowhere. Yeah, and the interesting part is that Quickstep probably tried to make sure that Ineos didn't have anyone in the breakaway initially, but if a Carlos Rodriguez or someone random, a Tau Gegenhardt, is in that breakaway as a satellite rider, this race could play out even better for Martinez where he would have had someone in the valley for uh, to pace for him when he was behind after that descent. He would have had teammates that helped him if they had satellite riders up the road. Or do you think that was a risky decision to put satellite riders up the road for Ineos? I don't think so because they were not the controlling team necessarily. That was technically quick step. I think their plan was, yeah, they didn't really want an open race. Movistar, mm-hmm. it's a shame for Movistar. It seemed they were doing everything right. They really did a good job with Oliveira, Mass attacked on Krabbelin. It's a real shame. Maybe he could have moved up to third on Arate if he had the Krabbelin legs, but maybe he's marked. I think Martinez, because he was so far back on GC, maybe Mass wins the stage. But, yeah, it's a shame for him uh, and for their GC, their UCI points too. I think... Yeah, yeah, it's 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 hot and cold, and it's hard to know with everyone so sick as well. Um, but yeah, it's an unreal race. Remco Benji, it has to be a much more positive sentiment and morale in the Quick Step camp compared to Toronto Adriatico, for certain. And I think, despite him losing time here, it's roughly twenty five seconds in my mind serves me right. That is a very good step forward for Remco as a GC rider now. I put that sentence on Twitter, and initially, people are like, Pogacar was winning Grand Tours when Remco <laughs> at this age in his life. Well, Pogacar is the exception. Like, becoming a GC rider doesn't mean you need to become Pogacar. A GC rider for me is being able to top 7 8 a Grand Tour in the future, and based on what I saw today, I think that's a very good potential for Remco in the future. Could even be better, but he needs to prove more to get to a top five standard for me in my eyes. But I believe that Remco did a very good race. And he also worked for Alaphilippe during the stage race, which was fitting for the stages he did it on. So I don't necessarily feel like we need to complain about uh, if Remco, for example, didn't do leadouts on stage one, two, and three, then he might have had a podium right now. That's possible, but they also got a stage win out of that. And... I understand that they make that decision knowing that Alaphilippe is definitely certainly a leader at Quick Step as well and deserves that to have support there. So I don't see that as an issue. Now, what do you think this means for Remco as a GC rider? Ah, it's all encouraging. I think my standpoint remains the same. The the steeper it is, the worse it is for him, whether mm-hmm. that's some physiological imbalance, whether that's his his weight is higher than we think. I don't know. He on that five k five percent climb before Arate, he put in a huge time into the Bilbao group when they were clear. He's good on the shallow stuff. He was good on uh, yeah. Pinar in Valenciana, dropped on Magma, the steep stuff. So that's my opinion hasn't changed on that. Welter uh, doesn't actually have many muros. Doesn't actually have much correct. steep stuff. One, I think. Yeah, and the question then is like. 
I was exactly going to say that. The Vuelta, indeed, only one Rampa in Himanas or whatever it's called these days. Uh, the rest is relatively not shallow. There's some decent percentages in there, but not insane. And then you think about the Tour de France, and most of the Tour de France parkours throughout the years are not the climbs with super steep climbs like Pimari only happens every few years, for example, a climb like that. So I think the Tour de France on paper fits in the best of all three Grand Tours, nah, well is what I would say. Vuelta? On the Grenon stage, he get ruined. No, I mean, I mean in general, like over the years. Oh, not no, a this norm, year. Like a normal Tour de France? Normal, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, 100% yeah. agree. Normal Tour de France is his yeah. best. Like it is. It's it, from Indrain to Armstrong to Wiggins to Froome to Bernal's the exception. Aaron Baru, yeah. maybe in three years. Bernal's the exception. It's yeah. time trialers with, you know, or time trial style guys have been good at the Tour de France. So, yeah, I think the Tour generally this year, though, that got the hard run on stage. The Vuelta is weird this year. It is a yeah. lot of 15Ks, 6%, which he's he should be fine at. Uh, we saw at the Giro the, last year off a little training in the first week, there was that climb Bernal dropped everyone. Uh, San Giacomo, maybe, stage six or something. 15K, 6%. He dropped everyone but Remco and Dan Martin. Um, my concern, Benji, is support. I think yeah. if Remco has Ineos team, he wins GC at Basque Country. Well, they weren't here for Martinez after Krabulin either, so I'm not so sure, actually. But in True, previous yeah. stages, yes. <laughs> True, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the thing is, like, we, we can judge Quickstep based on today. In general, I think that Quickstep is not no, a good judge the for a Grand Tour. Who's, who's the mountain guys? Exactly. Alaphilippe and Van Sevenand are the only ones you could say as support for Evenepoel. Outside of that, Dave Evenance could perhaps do stuff on smaller he, hills. He's good, not older. Yeah, exactly. Ilan van Welder, outside of this team, is likely to be willing to ride his own races, I'm guessing, and not necessarily always supportive for Remco. But when you look at solely this stage, I think every single team looked bad. Vingegaard yeah. and Roglic were isolated because was gone. I haven't seen Kuz all day. He was missing, MIA, somewhere out in, in Basque Country on the beach somewhere. When it comes to other teams, Ineos was indeed isolated. Martinez was isolated on Krabolin. Moss had Oliveira ahead. So all the teams that tactically put a rider ahead were benefited today. Yep. Who didn't, wasn't. Maida was good for, for yep. Bahrain. Maida yep. was good. Um, for the first time. But he, he's a special type of rider. Not many teams have a Gino Maida level rider for domestique duties. Unreal in the welter. But yeah, Benji, like Catania, I think, is good. Uh, so yes. is Van Wilder, Vavika. It's just well, not as domestique. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Knox hasn't had it. Uh, he's not looked good for a while. Honore can't do the longer climbs. Alaphilippe's his best domestique by far for Grand Tours, but it's Julian Alaphilippe. He's the world champ. They are missing a Maida style. Um, you know who they're missing? <laughs> Joao Maida. He'd be the best, but he's gone. Um, but yeah, it's something. Just look at the trend. Look at wait for August. I would not be surprised, Benji, come August, that they are trying to stock that team full of some premium domestiques. Wild Poles. He was on quick step before. Wild Poles out of contract. He's on a one year, I think, or is he yeah, on a two year? Quick step is not the overly willing team to pay and is more bonus related, I would dare to say. So. 
it's very difficult to get a, a full stacked uh, GC team, you know, for that's a lot of money. That's what people don't realize. That's what people don't realize. It is cheaper to get sprinters and lead up men and misc um, Belgian cobbly guys. Yeah, like Stebar, for example. Uh, he, would be, he wouldn't be cheap, but he's yeah. like Richie Port, Walt Poles, Kwiatkowski. Do you know how much those guys cost in the mid 20 teens when they were 100% domestiques for Froome? Like they cost seven figures. All of them, maybe not Pauls, but Kwiatkowski easily seven figures. Well, like easily, uh, Port as well. I think uh, not. I think I'm pretty sure. So (laughs) we are seeing it is much, much more expensive to assemble a stacked GC team than it is to assemble a classic squad with some punchers as well. Like three seven nines, he ain't the same cost as Kwiatkowski in 2015. And UAE, they have a huge budget. They're splashing two, whatever, over two mil probably on Almeida. We've got uh, Ineos, 50 mil budget. How can Quickstep, who can they get? And next to that, I would also like to add that certain teams like an Ineos are able to mold riders that are not necessarily mountain domestiques into a mountain domestique role. Flat. Moscon was not a mountain domestique rider before True. he went to Ineos, for example. And when you look at a Kasper Asgren, that rider has done great at California when it comes to mountain stages in the past. If he was at Ineos, he would have 100% have been in a mountain train at this point in his 100%. career. 100%. Dylan Van Baal. And, yeah. And I think that that's also an aspect of Quickstep that they are not able to mold a rider in that shape to make that part of that train. But then again, Osgrain might be too good in other places to be used there. But then again, Quia was also chained. But the difference is, Benji, if you're Quickstep, you you sign these classic skies and we yeah. the model has been you sign them to relatively low base compared to what they might get elsewhere, but bonuses for winning xyz so it's a tough ask if asgren can get a huge bonus for xyz if you're like actually can we mold your season and training around your 20 30 minute power to ride the second last five no uh five percent 10k climb for remco that's a tough ask whereas ineos they're like when they sign them like yeah you're gonna get paid a million euro plus and yeah tour de france sorry it's choo-choo time it's it's a difficult thing and it's interesting to see teams trying to balance that and as you said Ineos have got a neopro and plap plap had been in the vuelta for remco as his like second last man guaranteed um they don't have that coming through either maybe i'm being harsh on the masnada catania types they're good as well but yeah any last thoughts from bass country benji um I'm obviously I'm back I'm so, I'm semi back on Remco GC hype. I was out a bit. Yeah. I'm back. <laughs> Me too. To be honest, I I was uh, I was a bit critical when it comes to Carpenia and so forth. I I never said that Remco was going to win a Grand Tour dead on. I always had the thoughts that he could definitely top ten a Grand Tour in the future, but that podiuming is going to be a goal that he can pursue, but is going to be something difficult. And I hadn't seen something that said, okay, he's going to podium a Grand Tour in the future. And I still haven't seen something that says he's going to podium a Grand Tour in the future, but I've seen potential that he can gradually move up to the ability to do so. God, like, 
Kagan Hart and Hindley put him the Grand Tour with nothing like what Remco has shown so far before they got to that Grand Tour. So it is possible that at a certain point, Remco is going to be fighting for a podium at a Grand Tour in the future. But you got to balance that. you got to balance the hype between staying realistic and dreaming. And I think we're at a nice trajectory when it comes to his GC stuff to see something in the future in that sense. So I'm happy that he showed this because the Belgian media can now stop shitting on him whenever he does badly. And next to that, it's also intriguing to uh, see a rider grow. And I enjoy that because it would be shit if he once again had lost 20 minutes today, the entire cycle of Tireno news once again. And I'm happy to see this, but about today's Tireno stage. No, this is not Tireno anymore. NG, where well, he, he made the race, later. right? Remco, yep. mate, how much more exciting did he make this race being competitive? Yep. Attacking on the false flat descent yesterday, coming back today, the tension. He made, if you love him or hate him or just indifferent, today was a great stage. Like one of the mm-hmm. best I've watched this year. So Certainly. I'm all for it. For me, it was the best stage of this year, the best race of this year. I enjoyed this more than the likes of an RVV, for example. Sorry, Flanders. Wow, Don't RV- me down, RVV. people. <laughs> RVV literally just like I could go and watch a 1K sprint on the velodrome, same race, just two guys doing a two-hour sprint. Uh, no, 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 I, I won't best. let that slide either. I, I need to, I need to stay balanced because otherwise they pull me out of my home and just throw me out of Belgium here. So I need to stay balanced to be on the edge so that I don't get deported. So I do want to say, like you said, this is the uh, best stage for me this year. This is why I love cycling stuff like this. This is a uh, also a factor of. Not having Slovenians dominate this stage race. Is that harsh to say? No, it's facts. Like, of course, it was more exciting. Like, if Pagacha's here, it's boring. Uh, if Roglic was on, then Jonas hard paces and just shuts it down. Roglic marks Arate, probably wins the stage. No, it's not as exciting. So, yeah, it was more exciting <laughs> with Roglic either being off form or giving Jonas a chance or a mixture of the two. Incredible stage. And also, when those two aren't here, the other guys who are better climbers than, say, Bilbao and Izaguirre, they're not so much better that it doesn't make a difference that Bilbao and Izaguirre are better at other things like guile and tactics and descending. The difference is smaller, so then they can bring in their, don't know, NFL term, their intangibles. Um, and, yeah. It was a lovely race, very exciting, and uh, I think Remco are going to podium the Vuelta because some TTTKs, and yeah, he, he should, and I don't think both Slovenians will go, but maybe you won't. Anyway, that was Mass Country. We've got Amstel Gold Race tomorrow. Otherwise, there's no other racing. Tour of Turkey on next week. We won't cover every stage, but if Quintana goes mutant, there is a good queen stage, and there's Bennett, Ewan, Phillips in their outrageous sprint field at Turkey. Um, yeah. But we might, we might cover it. Your camera just died. <laughs> but that's all from us this week. Hope you enjoyed all the podcasts from Bass Country. Make sure to like it down below if you're watching on YouTube or give us a rating on podcast players. We've gone on too long. My camera battery's died, which is a signal for us to end it. Thanks as always to Zwift <laughs> for their support of this podcast. It makes it possible and a zero visit possible in about three weeks terrifyingly till i'm still gold race tomorrow ciao 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.